Hey everybody, this is RJ Thompson, your host of the City View Podcast, joining you again for, and I don't say this sarcastically, exciting, uh, <laughs> an exciting episode. Um, I'm uh, sitting here in my office in Phelps Hall on the campus of Youngstown State University with a recent graduate um, and all-around cool guy, uh, Jacob Schreiner-Briggs. Hey everyone. Um, say hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, yeah, uh, Jake, you've got a really uh, interesting background here in, in Youngstown and at YSU, um, and even that extends into what you're doing now. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, did you grow up in Youngstown? Yeah, so I was born in at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Um, I've moved around in the Youngstown area quite a bit, but I've never moved outside of Youngstown. So I've lived in Austintown, I've lived in Liberty, uh, I currently live on the west side of Youngstown, right okay. off of Meridian Road. So yeah, yeah, no, I'm a Youngstown Youngstown lifer, and then okay. of course went to YSU. Yeah, what'd you do here at YSU? So I was involved with a few oh. things. Um, I took so I took five years, um, and then graduated with a political science and, and philosophy degree. But then you know, in the meantime, try to do as much stuff outside of the classroom as I could. So. Um, I worked on uh, the, the moot court team and the ethics bowl team in the philosophy department, and both of those programs are consistently successful, so it was really cool to be a part of them. Um, I actually came back and helped out with both to coach a little bit this year because I missed it and wanted to stay connected. Um, worked in student government for in the aggregate two years, but served in three different administrations as the vice president. Um, was a member of the Honors College, um, was a Cochrane Scholar, so that fed me into a bunch of different community and volunteer opportunities. What's, what's a Cochrane Scholar? So uh, a Cochrane Scholar, and so it's changed. When, when I was applying to college, YSU was actually the only college I applied to, and that was because I knew that they had this, this scholarship and that even if I didn't get it, it was still a very affordable education. But at the time, uh, YSU offered 40 full-ride, all-encompassing academic scholar, sc scholarships. Um, and so I, I applied and, and received it. So now that, that scholarship still exists, I think, though, in order for the university to grow what was then an honors program into an honors college, they redistributed funds in such a way so that you had still Cochrane scholars who, who get that full ride, but that number went from 40 to, uh, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I, I want to say in the neighborhood of like 7 to 12 maybe a year. Okay. And then the, the, that scholarship money went to a, a larger base of students. And so now we have a growing honors college on campus. But So that's what a Cochrane Scholar was, and it still exists, just not in the same quantity as it used to. Okay. So uh, what drew you to poli-sci? Um, so I, my uh, so academic history is a little <laughs> bit all over the place. I came in as an English major um, because I like reading and writing, which... Kind of misunderstands what academic. Oh my god! So, yeah, yeah. A, a student that loves reading, reading and, writing. and writing. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, I should, I should major in that then. And then I realized, okay, maybe this isn't hundred percent for me. Um, <laughs> and then to hell with the reading. Yeah, and writing, yeah. You yeah. know, I don't like reading anymore. Uh, and then, then I went to education, and I was an integrated social studies ed major for a semester. Um, realized that although I liked the idea of teaching high school, um, the reality wasn't going to fully comport to that. So I still like teaching, just sure. maybe not in that setting with the bureaucracy and all kinds of other stuff. Absolutely. Um, and then because I had been doing moot court for a couple of years, I had people in the political science department kind of reach out to me and say, okay, we think that you know law school is in your future and mm -hmm. this is something that you should pursue. And so do it at the undergrad undergraduate level. Uh, academically as well, just because you're interested in it and you like right. it. Um, and then I actually went to philosophy first, majored in philosophy, and then picked up 
political science as a double major because I was taking that extra time and had the time to do that. Mm. Uh, that's that's such a unique balance between the two. Uh, it, it, I don't feel like there are too many people that are ch- like they're they they're tethered together, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't see students taking both of those disciplines at the same time. Yeah, um, I, I think that's that's really great because uh, on one hand you've got policy, and then you've got the soul behind it mm-hmm. that informs that, and especially now that's such that's so relevant. Uh, it's kind of like when you develop a budget, like your actual organization's mission is represented through numbers yes. in, in that budget. So um, <clears throat> you're going to be uh, probably a great person to defend things like that eventually someday. Yeah, I care deeply about it. And I think, you know, as an aside, when people say, well, I don't do philosophy, you know, I do STEM or, or things that are more applicable, you know, the follow-up question is, okay, well, like, why do you value that above philosophy? And as mm-hmm. soon as you start to answer the question, you're doing philosophy. Right. Congratulations. You're <laughs> always doing philosophy. Time to graduate. Yeah, 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 yeah. there it is. <laughs> um, do you have any particular uh, philosophers that resonate with you? Or? So, I, I mean, I like, I like a lot of them, even the ones I disagree with. It's interesting to entertain the argument, at least in an academic vacuum. Yes, Because I think then you take arguments and you start to translate them into policy, which is what you alluded to. Yeah. And that's when suddenly I don't like those philosophers that right. much anymore. But <laughs> right. I like uh, John Rawls is a person who I've always, I, I, I've liked his theory on justice. And he has a, a theory that I think is actually uh, a pretty easy transition from the abstract to like real life engagement with people and issues and institutions. So he just says like the, the basis of our formulation of justice uh, should exist in such a way that when you when you form it, you should be forming it from the perspective of someone who doesn't know their race, religion, uh, gender, sexual orientation. These immutable characteristics, right. um, disability, etc. And then you know behind that veil of ignorance of not knowing any of that stuff, that's how you think about justice. I so see. do away with all of these other things that can result the in oppression. Speci- the specific parameters. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So and I think that actually is like a really good exercise in empathy. To, to formulate like what we think of when we think of justice and how institutions ought to con- conform to justice and that sort of thing. Empathy, that's something we need more of. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Um, you know, as uh, from from my standpoint, you know, being an educator, like empathy is always something that you have to have um, and always be building on because you know, at least for me, I I, I see students from all manner uh, and walk of life. And each situation's different. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for me to, to really be empathic and understand the, the problems behind the problems behind the problems yes. and sort of build a strategy or some kind of mentorship that responds to that while not maybe directly addressing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is like a skill in and of itself. Uh, that, like, I wish there, is there a class on empathy here? Because that would be fantastic. Oh, yeah, it'd be good. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. But you can do philosophy, psychology, you can do all kinds of stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so you, you, you've studied poli-sci and philosophy and you, you've been involved in not just, uh, the Youngstown community, but also here at the university by being a part of student government. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, tell me about your student government experience. And it, it, the the reason why I'm asking is because I think that service generally is extremely important mm-hmm. for all people to participate in and develop an understanding of. Um, and it seems like only certain populations of, of the student body 
you know, pursue student government. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it, that's not to say that it isn't democratized, right? Right, yes. But um, I feel like there's a shadow over it. It's like, oh, well, uh, such and such is running for SGA president. They're going to be some big shot, you know, superstar in, in their field. And it's like, you could be an artist. Mm-hmm. And not have those ambitions, but still have an amazing impact on service. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, I, I digress to your thoughts. Yeah, so a, a lot to unpack there. So for me as an individual, I think SGA's value, and I could go on and on and on about it, but one of the things that maybe people don't talk about a lot is I think SGA made, my, made me more self-aware of my flaws. And that, I think, is something that's really fundamental and important. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah. 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 And, and I just think that's rare. You know, when people kind of dive into these opportunities, most of the time they're doing something you know, because they're already good at it or mm-hmm. because they think it'll accent the things that, like, they want to market as strengths or whatever it is. And I think that was the approach I initially took when I was young and ran for vice president for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. I'm interested in politics. I like public speaking. I like engaging with people, at least in certain settings. Right. Um, and I care about mm. things, so I'm, I'm going to do this. And it was this very gung-ho, like, that, that sort of mindset. Right. And then once I started doing the job, I realized, okay, the abstract idea and the reality are different. Mm. And the reality carries responsibilities and stressors. Right. And you have to temper your personality, and you have to be willing to work with people and compromise to get things done. Um, and so learning, like, my shortcomings... As I was able to come back, and so, you know, the first time I was with Michael Slavens, who was the president, then with Ashley Orr, and then eventually with Gabby Gessler, and I think I can track, like, as I served with these different people, that my style changed, and, right. and, and I grew from not recognizing what I thought I was good at, but from recognizing what I knew I was bad at and fixing it. That, so that's individually. And then, no, I think your point on the, the collective is very, very true. It's not like there's a formal gatekeeping that right. keeps people out. I mean, there's their GPA requirements, but they're reasonable. Sure. Um, but no, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think some <clears throat> cohorts on campus naturally feed into SGA. I mean, like the honors college is probably a prime example, but even like Greek life has connections in there and like right. these, these very centered mainstream cohorts, which are good and valuable and important, but I think then tend to serve as a sort of unofficial litmus test for students who right. aren't part of those communities. And so it's really important for people in SGA um, to it, reach out to other groups who aren't necessarily a part of that sort of insular right. network and say, no, you can do this too. Like, you, you fill out a petition. It's really accessible. Um, if you campaign just a bit most of the time, you can become a rep out of your college. And yeah. the minute you get your foot in the door it becomes so much more obvious how truly accessible it is. But mm-hmm. that initial intimidation can really serve to like, keep people away. So it's really important for the people on the inside to, to break down those perceived barriers. And, you know, I couldn't even tell you who our rep from the College of Creative Arts and Communication is. Because yeah. I don't even know if there is one. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, I wouldn't put it past the situation to see that there wasn't a rep. Nevertheless, I mean, I'm speaking from an artist's point of view. Um, what you just described, the broad points, it's like I'm using SGA as a conduit for expression. Mm-hmm. And through that expression, I'm gaining a tremendous amount of self-awareness. These are two high qualities of an artist, a, a productive, creative person. And I, I recognize the commonalities, and it's just like I want an artist to, to step in there. Get and you know to see the to see things from a different a completely different angle perhaps uh, a more intrinsic or um, 
introverted one. Sure. But uh, one that I think would be just as informative nevertheless. Uh, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll push those kids. Okay. I'll see yeah, what yeah, I can sounds do. Sounds good. Sounds yeah, good. and then yeah. I'll tell them, to, tell them to talk to you and Ashley. And yeah, if they have any questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, lo- I love your self-awareness. And more to this point, uh, I, I feel like, and you'll have to pardon my phrasing here, and maybe I'm, I'm projecting onto you, but um, this idea or acceptance of failing forward, mm-hmm. like you learn, like you could step into that role and like be wrong every step of the way, yeah. but that's transformed you in such me- more meaningful ways than perhaps being right oh, yeah. all the time would. No question, no question. And also, because I think the, the weird thing about self-awareness, so I wasn't always self-aware, and then something clicked, and I mm-hmm. realized, oh, I've been making mistakes. What was, it, what was that moment? You know, and that's the thing. I don't know if there was a, a singular moment. I think it was just at a certain point in the middle of uh, a term, I just kind of reflected on who I was and how I was acting within that role and just realized I could do better. I could do better in like my commitment, my organization, in my interpersonal communication. But once you make that realization, even if it's, you know, a a general reflection on a a broad swath of time as opposed to a singular moment, Mm -hmm. you never go back. So it's not like I'm saying now, oh, I'm perfectly uh, aware, self-aware and aware of my surroundings, aware of who, how I'm being received by other people. Um, but you never go back because I think you're constantly then making that reassessment. So definitely right. still imperfect, but now at least capable of right. that being something on my radar where I think about how I'm being received and how I'm handling myself. But uh, no, it's really important. Um, and, and that's a trait that you can use to, and carry on mm-hmm. with whatever else that you're doing. Yeah. And on that note, <clears throat> let's seamlessly transition <laughs> into the other things Very that you're good. doing. Um, you see that, that little yeah. there? Okay. <laughs> we got the so, expert here. <laughs> so, uh, you're, you're an intern right now. Yes. You're interning. Where, where are you interning? I am an intern in the clerk of court's office at the Mahoning County Court of Common Pleas right downtown. Um, and so that was like a, a, a good opportunity that, you know, networking kind of put on my radar and mm-hmm. I was able to reach out and there was an opening and it worked out. And so, um, it's not... A lot of people think, I think, that I'm, I'm dealing with the law in a substantive way, and I'm not. Uh, it's really sort of clerical organizational work. Sure. Um, but it's valuable to see how the law works on an administrative level behind the scenes. Because in the classroom here at YSU... It's theoretical. Yeah, it's all theory. Yeah. And, and, or, or even how you would be approaching something as if you were a lawyer, but it never gets addressed. You know, how do courts function? Like, mm-hmm. as an administrative entity... How do the, the gears turn every day? Well, it's the people in the clerk's office that yeah. make it that make it run every day. So that that was valuable insight. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it just kind of kind of goes back to this whole concept of because even on the SGA conversation, like the concept of about like looking at failure and making it something productive, you still kind of have to be in a kind of an advantageous position to be able to do that. I mean, some people right. can't afford to fail. I, I was lucky on the scholarship and everything I could yeah. have and yeah. turned it into this positive. You had some flexibility. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I get that not everyone has that. And it's a similar thing with this internship. And now, like, you know, I've, I talk to people who are interested in it or interested in other things that I've done on campus to kind of, like, pay it forward. But, mm-hmm. again, with that reflection, it's like not everyone had that, like, plate of opportunities to right. take advantage of. But what, what kind of things are you doing down there in the day-to-day? Uh, so it's, a lot of it is filing. So it's just... People don't realize. A lot of reading and writing. <laughs> no, actually, no. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so it's perfect for my, you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, people do not realize how much paperwork courts produce. So, you know, anytime there's 
in order for a court to do anything, it has to be moved to do something. And that means that someone needs to file something. So any given case, any given year, any given time, in order for the court to do anything, an attorney or if you're representing yourself, whatever it is, something formally needs to be filed with the court. So just the, the volumes of paperwork in that building are just, just, it's astronomical. And so what I do on a daily basis, one of my biggest tasks is just to, you know, take the 17, 2017 civil case filings and put them in order by case number and then put them in their files. And like, that sounds, you know, like, oh, well, that's easy enough. But the, <laughs> the amount of paperwork that comes through that courthouse is pretty crazy. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, ima now, actually, here's, here's a, a illustrative point. Um, <clears throat> imagine being in that same position in a major metro city. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, just wild. <laughs> there would be 10 of you to yeah, do oh, that. Yeah, absolutely. Easily. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so, um, so that's like another on-the-street type of position that, that gives you the background of, you know, I, I think in, in some respects, like, you could look at some contemporary politicians and say, they probably have no idea what it is that I do mm -hmm. uh, in whatever governmental office, and like they have no idea how this functions, and yet there they are. Yeah, so leading I, it probably. Right. Yeah. So I, at least for me, I always appreciate uh, a public servant whom has some established background in you know working it literally working in government. Yeah, come in on the ground floor. Come in on the ground floor, uh, understand the people on the street, and then work your way up, because that's always going to inform you. And really, that's where that empathy begins. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, 30 years from now, you're still going to be thinking about those people yeah. on some level, and how you were at what one time one of them. Yes. Yeah. And ideally, always one. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, how long have you been interning there? So I started in July of 2017. Okay. So... Approaching, I don't know. I don't know what the math is hard. Nine months, maybe okay. something. So you're kind of in a gap year. Yes, just hanging out. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, so, uh, did you apply to grad school? Yes. Yes. So I in the in the fall I began the process of applying to law schools, and now that very very long process. I mean, application started in September October. Mm -hmm. I'm now finally, I have heard back from most of the schools I've applied to, and, and so that process unfolded over the course of a few months, but yeah, now it's, now it's starting to wind down. Okay. So, uh, what, so you, when you apply to these grad schools, and you know, you're talking about going in and, and being a lawyer, mm -hmm. so uh, that requires a certain pedigree, you know, like you want to get a good, a, a brand level, brand name degree, but, you know, I, I, I'm under the assumption and belief that as it applies to law, like, you got to go to a good law school if you're going to be taken seriously in the, in, in the legal and justice system. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's something that I've kind of had to personally reflect on and then talking to some other students at YSU who are interested in law school. So... There are a few myths about the process. A lot of people, you know, want to tell you, okay. Yeah, what's the process? So, okay, so the application process, you take the LSAT. That's your standardized test. Um, then, of course, you have your GPA. And most of the time, um, you know, there are going to be some extra essays and whatnot. So you, you do all of this through something called the Law School Admissions Council, which is just a website. It's like um, it's a central hub for you to send in all of your information. Right. Um, and so... Again, you have that LSAT score, you have your GPA, so those are your numbers are the hard factors they consider. Then they look at a personal statement, a diversity statement if you want to write one, um, some optional essays. Some schools have you do optional essays if you want 
a resume, letters of recommendation, that sort of thing. And so LSAC, which is like a clearinghouse, sends out your file to all of the schools that you apply to. And then they, on their end, evaluate it after they get it, and then they'll respond to you. Um, one myth is that you know you can't get funding if you go to law school. A lot of people want to tell you, no, there's no scholarship opportunity. That's just not true. Um, if your numbers are above the 75th percentiles, that is your LSAT's above the 75th and your GPA is, you're, you're in the running for some scholarship money in most schools. Mm -hmm. the, the name thing, that, that really is going to be operative depending on the type of work you want to do. Okay. So if you want to do like big government, uh, big law, these sort of unicorn public interest jobs, like coming out of law school and working for the ACLU, that it, then it's really going to help to come out of a top school. But if you want to just if you're if you just want to practice law, you know your your family has a practice, or you want to start sure. your own, or whatever. I mean, you you know if you go to an accredited school and you minimize your debt, that that's an opportunity that you have. Which side of the spectrum are you? What end of the spectrum, rather? With uh, in terms of like the interest post law school. Yeah. Or? What what kind of lawyer do you want to be? What do you want to practice? So I I'd like to do public interest and constitutional law work with civil rights, constitutional okay. rights. Um, so it, it's going to require a lot of hard work to, mm -hmm. to, you know, hopefully build the resume to be able to do that. Um, but then I, I want to end up teaching. I mean, that's where okay. I would like to just finish my career, whether that's at a university or at a law school. I'd like to, I'd like to be teaching. But in yeah. the interim, yeah, that sort of public interest type advocacy. You know, that, that may be the hardest type of work to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think you could rest knowing that it's the most important. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and often in that respect, the the uh, the journey is the destination. Yeah. You know, it yields its own rewards. So, like, if you put a lot of work into it, ideally speaking, you get just as much out of it. Even though that may not necessarily mean um, you're changing systems or you're changing communities, but like maybe you just changed one tiny little thing. Sure. In a in a law, or uh, maybe you changed one person's life. Like yes. it, 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 I think one way to look at it is it's additive. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just adds and adds and adds, and then at the end of the day or end of your career, you can be like, yeah, I did some real real good work. Yes, you have to believe that you can make a difference, and you need to not limit the definition of making a difference to these big global changes. Right. Yeah. And you know, like with with law, it's like, you know, morality. Yes. Has a, is a huge component to that. You know, we already talked about empathy, but also uh, morality and how much of a, how principled of an individual you are. Mm -hmm. um, I think that can, you know, interestingly enough, enhance one's career, but depending on where you stand on your principles, yes. like you could be a huge mega lawyer for super big banks. Yeah. And, you know, oil uh, companies. Oil companies. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, however you stand on that, and maybe it's a bit, soulless yeah um but uh, on the other hand of this you know uh the the work is still hard i think oh sure yeah yeah, yeah tax um so okay so uh you've applied to grad school you've you you're starting to hear back um that's good um and you're you're chasing chasing scholarships too yeah, yeah. yeah. So been, you're in that upper percentile? I, I was lucky that my, my LSAT went well. I had to take it a second time. It didn't okay. go as well as I wanted it to the first time. Well, then, realistically, who takes it just one time? Yeah, but not, not many people. And, and so yeah. that's another myth, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. So previously, the way it worked was that institutions had to communicate to the American Bar Association 
every score that a student got and report the average uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to then that would reflect on its rankings and that sort of thing. Uh, now law schools only need to report a student's highest score, which means that they don't have as much of an incentive to consider all your other scores, which means you have more of an incentive to take it multiple times right. if you don't get the score that you want. So yeah, you can, you can definitely take it multiple times and it won't necessarily hurt you, especially if there's a significant improvement. It's, it's definitely worth it. So Well, that also helps build your narrative. Sure. You know, I, I, this, this idea of perfecting something the first time, you know, if there's one thing that's complicated, uh, outside of health, it's definitely the law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and I would argue, like, even if you got, let, let's say, a B plus, like, still take it again. Yeah. Um, and is that that track record? Is that something that universities look at when doing admissions? I think. I mean, if they saw, so if a law school saw that your score jumped and in, in, in you didn't give like a litany of excuses for why it was not where you wanted it the first time. You just said, look, uh, I studied harder, I prepared harder. It wasn't, or, or not even harder, but I was more familiar going into it the second sure. time and I knew I wanted to take that chance again. Sure. Yeah, no, it's not going to be held against you. If anything, yeah, it could, it could show that you're a person who's willing to persevere yeah. and, and say, okay, um, this was disappointing the first time, but I'm not willing to let that stand. I'm going to try again. And that, that could be a good, uh, a good indicator of how you'd be as a, as a law student. Um, and so, again, very fortunately, that, that was my position. And so now um, I applied to these schools who, at the time, you know, of the first test, these were schools that just in my dreams you know, I could get sure. into. And then the second one happens, and it's, I'm getting accepted into, into schools that, that are at the top, you know, the, right. the Yale, Harvard, Columbia, just schools that wouldn't, were not on my radar realistically the mm -hmm. first go around. And so that's really changed my perspective. But also re-ingrained the importance of doing something with that. It's mm -hmm. an opportunity don't squander it. Right. Don't do the soulless stuff. And, and uh, I, people have different reasons. I don't want to condemn any, any line of work. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in and care about constitutional law, civil rights. So, like, that's the route I want to go. You know, on that note, uh, it, you know, since we're dispelling myths, like, there's nothing wrong with chasing money. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, <laughs> there yeah. really isn't. Especially if you're an equitable yeah. person, you're doing it, you know. Right. Like, there are reasonable rules of engagement, like, right. and how you go about doing that. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you was, um, how, and maybe you don't know, but would you consider burnout uh, in graduate school for, uh, for chasing a, a, a law degree pretty high? Like, what's the attrition? It's, it can be high. Yeah. Um, and, and in a way, it's a sort of a scenario where the rich get richer, which is unfortunate because it, these top schools, they've actually done a lot to try to reduce the stress of the people going there. Um, so, for instance, Yale doesn't really have a traditional grading system. They're, your first semester, everything is pass fail, and then every wow. yes, okay, yes, and then every, that's pressure. Yeah, yeah. Well, but there's no. You have to try. From my understanding, you really need to put in the effort to fail. Okay. Like you really. So they do that just to kind of take that pressure off as you adjust your first semester, and then from then on out, there are gradations, but they're not traditional. It's like a combination of pass and high pass, and I see. so certainly you want the high passes, but it seems to be the case that most students finish with a good combination of both, and then they go out into the world with a Yale law degree, and that in and of itself opens up doors, but that sort of system is typically more common at those higher ranked schools, so. If you get into one, you have the luxury of not being as stressed. But if you don't, it might be the case that there's a traditional bell curve with a traditional grade distribution that fosters that sort of competition and burnout and stress and anxiety right. and on and on and on. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly 
if you want to go to law school, you need to like do your homework on this sort of thing. It, you know, high rates of alcoholism, depression mm-hmm. amongst law students. So yeah, it's something to consider. I'm, I'm interested in this uh, idea of high and high, high pass and high pass. It seems like it's more. It, it, it evokes more of a message on an individual's work ethic. Yeah. Than whether or not they just passed a test or something like right. that. Right. I mean, it seems largely at the discretion of the professors. So, fr- frankly, it's like, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't even really know, maybe, uh, what it would take for me to get the high pass. But I do know that that's still going to be less pressurized than knowing, hey, only X percent of people will get an A. That by necessity right. of the bell curve, if you don't finish you know, at, this, at this position, no matter how well you did in a vacuum, you're not going to get an A. Right. That's a whole other kind of pressure. That's a whole other kind of justice too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're preparing you for for the cutthroat, for, yeah, yeah, for how yeah. for the industry. And in that respect, if that does hold positive and is true, then that's a hell of a lesson. Yeah, uh, to not just to I I don't want to say it's a lesson to learn. Like it's a lesson to you'd be experiencing, um, which is I think another level of of just learning in general. But um, okay, so you've got grad school going on. When you get, when you choose, <clears throat> you know. By the way, those those higher, uh, those schools that you didn't think you'd get into, uh, or even consider applying to, mm-hmm. um, like, I think about what I would do. It's like, oh, Yale's. Yale is telling me I should apply for grad school. I I think I'd like run around the block, yeah, like yeah. screaming hysterically, like yeah. Um, is that how you felt? Oh, it was surreal. It was absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll be brief here, but so I yeah. got a call on a Friday night at eight. That was my acceptance call. Um, but I, so I, I flipped my phone over. I was out of dinner. I flipped it over. So I had a missed call from New Haven, Connecticut. I knew what was in New Haven. I knew mm-hmm. that I had an application out, but I was like, no, no way. Saw so a voicemail popped up. I listened to it. Um, it was an admissions officer from Yale, but it, all the message said, it didn't say congratulations, it said, call us back at your earliest convenience. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, I didn't get in. Something's wrong with my application. Sure. So I, I, I step outside, I, I call back, and the first sentence out of his mouth is, I just wanted to congratulate you on your awesome. acceptance. Yeah, and so wow. then there's two minutes of my life. <clears throat> there's, he says that, and then at the end he says, do you have any questions for me? The two minutes in between, I have no no, you don't no, remember. I do not remember. It's total out of body experience. I told wow. them even if I did, I couldn't ask them right now. So, wow, yeah. wow. You know what? That's probably something they get fairly. Often. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would have been really funny if, if, like, you didn't even it didn't even phase you, and you just started asking questions. But, uh, yeah, like that that surreal feeling. Like, you know, I'm glad you had that experience because one of the things I try to tell my students is that great things can happen for you. Uh, even beyond what your own expectation is, yes. if you work really hard for them, and you've, you you clearly are uh, a prime example of that, and you know, going through college, working your ass off, and like getting that degree, that feels good, it does. right? But that surreal moment, yeah. it, that's what you are working for. Yes, oh, that absolutely. is what, you, yeah, absolutely. And and not everyone is lucky to receive that type right, of yeah. experience. I, I'd be yeah. remiss to to not acknowledge the sheer amount of luck. Yeah. That goes into the process, and that yielded these results for me. So, uh, yeah, certainly hard work, dedication, a lot of studying, my commitment to these things at YSU that fleshed out a resume. But at the end of the day, it's like it's still kind of a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just look at yourself and say, oh, I did this. Well, right. like, no, you're certainly part of it as the applicant, but right. you did not do it alone. 
Yeah. No, no question. Yeah. Um, I, should we all be so lucky to have that, that surreal moment? I, I remember having that when I got a scholarship for grad school. Sure. Yeah. That covered a third of my tuition. Like, that was huge. Yeah. And how old are you now? 24. You're 24. Okay. So I was roughly the same age okay. when I went to grad school and got that news, too. Um, and it's remarkable. Um, so you have your own podcast. Yes. Tell yes. me about your podcast. Happily. And tell me why I haven't been on it yet. Yeah, I'll get you on. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. You say, what? well, I have to go through 170 episodes first before yeah. I get to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It, so I got into podcasts last summer or even earlier than that. I got really into them as a, as a medium. Um, and so I had this idea. I'm going to start my own. Uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't expecting many people to listen to it. I would essentially just talk to professors on, on YSU's campus um, about whatever their specialty was. And we'd sure. just have a long-form conversation about some interesting topic. And if I got 20 lessons, that'd be great. Um, and then I have a friend who lives in, and works in D.C. who's also a graduate of Youngstown State. His name's Jordan Yule. Currently has like 86,000 followers on Twitter or something ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. Um, and I, I had asked him if he wanted to be a guest on this Perspective podcast. He said, yes, sure. I didn't really get it off the ground. I mean, I bought a mic. I, I downloaded Audacity, all that fun yep. stuff. Um, but then he reached out in the summer and said, did you start this yet? I said, no. And he said, well, would you just like to do it together? And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're a network, and like, we care about the same things. We're interested right. in similar things. So we started it. It was initially called Think Twice. Then we realized the more and more we did it that that brand kind of reflected more on sort of what I was looking at with the initial conception for what it would be, um, but that in reality we were doing more of like a political activism podcast um, with like politically oriented guests for the most part. So then we brought on Brenna Quillen, who works with Jordan down in D.C. They work at something called Amplifier News together, which is a media company that focuses on curation of information and okay. political messaging. Um, and so Jordan, Brenna, and I rebranded the podcast. It's now called Rust Belt to Beltway, which we think encompasses our perspectives. Jordan and I being from the Midwest. Yeah. Jordan living in D.C., Brenna living in D.C. Brenna also, though, having like a, a wide variety of geographic experience. Yeah. And so kind of bringing these different perspectives to the table when we talk about an issue. Um, and, and so that, that sort of concept fit into the new name as well as an acknowledgement with the Beltway component that we are dealing with a lot of political issues. Right. And so, yeah, so now we, we record, we do, uh, we have a Patreon account, uh, we have a Twitter account, we have a Facebook page, um, and we do, we, we try our best to do one free and one premium episode a week. And so, yeah, it's, it's, and it keeps you busier. I mean, I'm sure like you understand, sure, busier yeah. than you'd think. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's definitely work, but it's fun and it's, it's interesting and rewarding. Yeah, you know, it, it's one thing to, like, have meaningful conversations with people, people. And, like, that's the experience you remember the most. But then you have to take it into post. And then you have to edit the audio and check the levels. Yes. And, and then publish that online and pray to the heavens that, you know, someone listens to yes. it and actually yes. likes it. Yes. And, you know, having an obsessive... Uh, review of the analytics and thinking like, is that a troll? Is that a bot? Is that an actual <laughs> yeah. human? Oh, they followed me back. Oh, but they don't have any songs themselves on their playlist. Like, is this a fake It's account? all the Russians. Yeah, it's all the Russians. <laughs> yeah, just... the, hey, the Russians are listening to you, man. Um, uh, so uh, what, a, what about on your podcast? Like, what... Uh, what spectrum of politics do you cover? Are you mostly focusing not on national federal issues, or do you 
get really granular uh, down to a local level? So or? we try to do both, actually. So, for instance, I had an interview with Greg Graziosi at The Vindicator, also a YSU grad, and we talked yeah. about why, Youngstown's specific political issues. But then we also will touch base on these the, the stories that are commanding the headlines. And then we also try to do big-picture stories that maybe aren't getting as much attention. And the, the perspective, we're all pretty far on the left, I think to varying degrees, but we're, we're definitely left of center. So that's obviously the perspective we, we give. Um, but I mean, we welcome anyone to listen. Maybe we'll yeah. change some minds, you know. But that's that's where we're coming from. So that's the voice that we lend. Because getting both sides is 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 I think in theory good. But I also think that if you are going to compromise your voice to do it, then mm -hmm. it's not worth it. You know, here are my politics. Here's where I'm at. You can listen if you like. You don't have to if you don't want to. So when you hit grad school, are you still going to keep doing it? I'd like to. I mean, it's really just going to depend on the workload. It might be mm -hmm. a thing where maybe instead of a co-host, I'm a correspondent of some sort or something right. where I do episodes every once in a while. But right. no, I mean, I, I like doing it enough, and it's slowly but surely, surely growing in an exciting way that I would like to be a part of it moving forward. But school's going to have to come first, so it's just a question of do I have enough time to stay sane and do well in the classroom right. and also do this. So how can people uh, check out your podcast? Where do they go? How do they connect to you? So Russ, it's Rust Belt to Beltway on Twitter. Um, it's at, at Rust Belt Way. Um, Patreon.com. It's, it's Patreon.com slash Rust Belt. Um, you know, if you follow Jordan Yule on Twitter, you can find us through his account. He retweets it quite a bit and has a link to it up in his bio. We have the Facebook page, which is just the name of the podcast. Um, it, and we're pretty accessible. I mean, when people reach out to us on these channels, we really do try our best to uh, respond. Now, I, I recently deleted my Twitter, which I think was good for my mental health. Yes, yeah, yes. It's a weird platform, but um, useful for this sort of thing, definitely, and for kind of keeping up with the news cycle. Um, but, yeah, no, we're, we're accessible on social media platforms. And, yeah, check us out. For, uh, on, we're on iTunes, Google Play. They're your traditional podcast um, outlets, SoundCloud. Two last questions for you. Sure. Uh, one, uh, do you see yourself being a, a pub political candidate someday? So that's surprisingly a question. It, there's precedent for it in your history. Yeah. 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 And, that's, and that's true. Some people do start just kind of, I guess, the, to analogize back to the earlier in the conversation, just coming in on the ground floor, that sort of thing. Student governments, like your, that's, that's the first floor of politics. Um, I won't say no. Uh, I will say that because I'm interested in issues in, I, I, I think, a pretty academic way, mm -hmm. sometimes I feel that I'm not being genuine when I try to, like, get out of my own head and, uh, and, 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 and speak with people on a larger scale. But then again, I don't think that that's not being genuine. I think right. I'm just not as comfortable with it. Well, you um, also have to tailor be. your message to your audience yes. in a way that they can meaningfully interpret it and mm -hmm. understand. And you have so. to go to people. I mean, it, with politics, yeah. like you cannot expect people to come to you. That's not the way this works. Like Democracy inherently is a, a type of institution where you are responsible for engaging directly with constituents. Right. Now, but that is something I care about. I do care about policy. I do have pretty strong beliefs. So I won't take it off the table. But I also don't think that that's... I would hope that for most people, that's not something that they look at and they say, like, oh, from the day I was young, I wanted to be in office. I think mm -hmm. I would hope that for people, it's like, okay, I really care about these issues. And I'm slowly but surely realizing that the way I promote them and try to make people's lives better is through the vehicle of political office. Right. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I won't say no, but I'll say, you know, I'm interested in the law. I'm interested in learning more and growing sure. more as a person and practicing law. And, 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 but if down the road, if that's, you know, the conclusion I come to, then that, that's what will happen. You know, it, it, it's interesting because, like, I never saw myself necessarily as a, a, a teaching man, mm-hmm. a, a college professor even. Um, but historically, one thing that I've always loved doing is just helping people. Yeah. And my route to helping people manifested itself through education. Yes. And that can happen through any number of different channels. Um, so, you know, when you look back on your history, it's like, I, I, I just want to help people. You know, maybe your conduit th- to that place is through this other way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But ultimately, the, the destination, uh, when you get there, it's like, Yes, now I can do this good work. And a lot, yeah. lot, lot, lot of outside pressure, though. I mean, obviously, depending yeah. on what level of politics you want to get into, but the scary thing for me is always, okay, you know, what, what will that pressure feel like if you actually mm-hmm. got on the inside of that process? And, you know, I, that, that is scary. And I don't, I don't want to deal, I wouldn't never want to deal with lobbyists or, or the, these, like, interests that I view as a very corrupting presence, but sure. that are there constantly. But yeah. if, if you felt like as an individual, no, I, I can say I'm not dealing with you, um, which I think for most people is easier said than done, but there are people who have shown that they can and will do it. Um, that is the type of person who I want to go into politics. Right. Um, but yeah. Second question. Yeah. Can I design your campaign materials? Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. But if I do it, that's all you. Awesome. Hey, that's, that's all I needed to hear. Uh, thanks Jake for your time. Um, when, uh, whenever, whenever you can jump back on the podcast, we'd love to talk to you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right.